Father, we want to thank you for Jesus this morning. We thank you that we have an opportunity once again to come around your word, to eat of your word, to be filled with thy spirit, to understand the things and the ways of God. And I pray that this morning your words of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge will go forth, touch every heart, prepare us for the coming of the Lord. And we give you thanks as always. We will not go empty-handed today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I believe that there is a declaration, a decree, that is drawn out by the evil one into all the world to uh, bring about a demise. I call it a demise of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and to bring it into a place where he no longer is worshipped as God nor is he understood as God or the person that he is and was in the flesh and this power is working to undo what we are all working hard to build up and it's getting more prolific, it's getting more rapid, it's getting more widespread. And pretty soon you and I are going to come across a lot of people, not just one or two, but a lot of people who will challenge your faith and who will challenge your knowledge of Jesus. The thing is that whilst we expect the Lord to come in, and to answer our antagonists, we need to understand that unless you spend time with the Lord and get to know Him for yourself, you will not have a ready answer. Nor will you be able to stand upon what you believe because the attack will be so severe and so strong. Those who are Christians and who are truly Christians are seeking to come closer to God. I trust that that's what is the case with you. Because if you make God about church or gifts or something else, then you've lost the plot. The whole idea of worship is to come closer to God, to know Him and to understand Him. And so if we want to come closer to God, we have to come closer to Jesus. Amen? Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. He is seated at the right hand of God. And He knows God. He knows who God is. And so if you want to know who God is, you've got to come closer to Jesus. Amen. Don't assume that you know God or that you know Jesus. Because that could be a, a big undoing, a big mistake when you are challenged, when you are faced with circumstances in life, when it gets so dark and it gets so difficult that you don't understand what is going on with you and you ask, do I really believe that there's a God who can help me? Selwyn Hughes, who wrote Every Day with Jesus, uh, wrote a little booklet called Where Are You God? And you know, it answered a deep question at, at a difficult time for me in Singapore. And I, and I met God. I met the Father God in the room. And I, and I came to realize that this deep question in my spirit at a crucial moment in my life was answered as to where God is. And I need to understand God even more so today than ever before because of what is going on around the world. The kingdom of God is shaped by a person and what he decrees as his commandments, not what man makes up or theologians make up or what we understand by our own determinations, but is revealed by the Holy Spirit as to what the kingdom of God is and who it is that is shaping the kingdom of God. So if you want to know about a country, you want to know who the prime minister of the country is or who the president 
of the country is and who is the government in the country because they're shaping the country. They're causing it to be what it is. And so, same way with the kingdom of God, if you want to know who's shaping the kingdom of God and what it is, what it is, then you need to come to Jesus. You need to understand who Jesus is. He's the King of Kings, he's the Lord of Gods, yes. We say that so glibly so many times, but do we really understand that he's actually the king of a place? He's the king of a kingdom that is considered as the kingdom of light and that there's no darkness in it. And he said, if you believe in God and you have darkness in your heart, which it relates to hating your brother or your sister, then God is not with you. Right? So you can't be in the kingdom of darkness and in the kingdom of light at the same time. You've got to be in either one. And you can't take on a label of Christianity and say, I became a Christian 25 years ago, and then I'll go and live my wayward life. And you go straight back into the kingdom of darkness. I'll go back into my depression. I'll go back into my oppressions. I'll go back into those things that once held me. No, you can't. The Jews wanted to do that. They got into the wilderness and then they wanted to go back to Egypt. They didn't realize all they wanted was to go back into bondage and slavery again. And so when we come into the kingdom of light and we understand that there is a place and, and, and interaction is taking place, that there are beings in this place that are different to us, then we need to understand why we need to go in there. And how is that access made available to you and me? So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd like you to come with me to the book of John chapter 10. We're going to look at well, the, the whole concept of John 10 in a different way. But let's have a look at verse 7, John 10 and verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. He's making a very emphatic statement about the access to the church or the access to God's people being himself. Amen? So if I want to interact with you, I have to interact with you on the basis of Jesus having gone through the door that is Jesus and not and interacting with you directly with your flesh or with your personality. Reason being is that you too are a part of the sheep. So if I want to access you, if I want to say something to you, if I want to guide you, if I want to govern you, if I want to lead you in a certain way, it has to be through Jesus. It cannot be something I conjure up in my own mind and I think, well, this is a good thing to go and tell so-and-so or so-and-so in the church. It can't be. Uh, people are walking around in churches saying, I've got a word for your brother or I've got a word for your sister and it's, it's their mind, it's not God. Right? And so be careful how you receive people who come into your lives to speak to you about Jesus and what it is that they're saying or to speak to you about yourself. And Jesus is saying, I am the door, right? And then when you look at the concept of the door, we begin to understand that it is a portal, an entry point to get into another dimension that is not easily available to anybody else other than those who are accepted by him to enter through him into that dimension. So there's a portal at the door his name is the Holy Spirit. Right? So if somebody comes along and tells me, well, this is the door of Jesus entering through there, I won't go through that door unless I have an affirmation and a confirmation from the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, I'll be entering in through a wrong door, which is made up to look like Jesus. It can be. Or it might not be Jesus uh, as, as made up as Jesus at all. But through the temptations, through the alluring words that somebody speaks, through a respectful person in society, a man of God maybe even, 
can tell you this is the door, walk through it, and you think, oh, well, there's a man of God telling me that, so I think that's the right door, I'll go through it. And you make your mistake, because that's not what God wanted you to understand about your relationship with Him. What He wanted you to understand is that He can talk to you. No matter even if He sends apostles, if He sends prophets or teachers or evangelists or anybody else, you are ultimately responsible to listen to His voice. He said, but why would God send a man to teach me or preach to me and then deceive me that way? No, He's not deceiving you, you're deceiving yourself. Because you're listening to a man. Okay? Even the man who's speaking must speak the words of God and, and those words must bring spirit and light. Only then are they the words of God. Otherwise they're the words of flesh. Right? Even if they have a result. Even if souls get saved. Even if miracles, signs and wonders happen. So you see how fine a tune you have to be tuned to in, in order to understand what the Holy Spirit is saying. That's why Jesus said to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, you know, if you have an ear, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Don't look at all your accolades, don't look at all your achievements, don't look at all of those things because you are in great danger of losing your candlestick from my presence because you did not listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And so we need to train ourselves to understand there's a dimension that we need to get into and that dimension is the spiritual dimension of God and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And so we need to hear. And in John 1.51 Jesus says to Nathaniel Verily, verily, I say unto you Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You see, this concept of a gateway, a doorway into the presence of God is Jacob's ladder. It's an access into heaven, a place called heaven from earth. You can actually access this place. We think it's ethereal. We think it is only, you know, something in the Word and that's how you access heaven. No, but when you access the person of Christ, you access heaven. And you go into the presence of God and you, and you interact with God and you have a relationship through the door that is Jesus Christ. Therefore, you know it is okay to have that relationship. There's no condemnation. There is no uh, bringing you down or any any of those things, but a gentle, loving acceptance of you into His presence, and then you begin to feel that you begin to know it, you begin to understand it. So three things: feel, know, and understand. You don't just feel it; you know it. You know that God loves you. You know that God cares for you. You know that He's doing something in your life and that He wants you to understand that. And that knowing becomes the thing that brings you into His presence and then you enter into the dimension of His Spirit and not of the flesh. Because in the flesh, people will say, you're, you're no good, you're useless, you won't make it. You know, you're nothing, you're a nobody. See, demons torment people, right? No matter even if they're Christians. And, and they bring up the old things in a person. They bring up the old things in a person. So the only way out of that is to go into the presence of God and get affirmation about who you are. So the, the, the mind is the area of where they operate and then they bring in a manifestation when you open a door to them for them to come in. And then you begin to believe and see things that are not of God and therefore you begin to walk in that way rather than the way God has purposed. So this door that is Jesus leads you into salvation which is eternal life, health, wealth, soundness of mind, security and all manners of blessings that He had purposed that you should have. So when you go through Jesus, okay, it's a simplistic statement to say you have to come closer to Jesus 
right? And you say, well, I'm already with Jesus. I already know Jesus. Yeah, but how close are you to Him? How much of that proximity in your relationship with God is producing the blessing you need? Because there are certain blessings that are closer to God than that which are further away from God. Like you, we can all blessing the sun, moon and stars and the air to breathe and all that. Every man has that. It's a blessing from God. But not every man has access into the presence of God to receive joy and peace and soundness of mind and knowledge and understanding. That is at a closer proximity to God through salvation. So you have to be saved, you have to be born again. You cannot assume your Christianity. You cannot say I was born into a Christian home, therefore I'm a Christian. No, you have to actually have an encounter with Jesus that is of some value that will help you to go through the journey of life. Saying to yourself, yes, I know who I have given my life to. No matter what the situation is, Amen? And we're always going to face difficulty, we're always going to face problems. There is a, what we call a preposition. Okay? The preposition is that you are seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. But that's not exactly what has happened to you physically on this earth. You're still attaining to that position through perfection, you haven't arrived there yet. So there's no use you declaring it unless you believe it. Right? And when you believe it, it must become a manifestation. It must become a reality. So peace must enter your mind and your heart. That's what he said in Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, Right? Receive the peace that comes through Christ Jesus over your mind and over your heart. Now that's a physical, tangible peace. Nothing can shake it. Nothing can take it away. Not the past, not the present, not the future. Okay, when you have the assurance in you of that peace, then you know you have come closer to Jesus. That means you can draw upon that bank anytime you want. So coming into the presence of God is, is through this door called Jesus. When you and I were born, we were born through a door into the earth, into sin and death. That's what every one of us, every single human being was born into the earth through the door that brought us into sin and death. Not by choice, I didn't ask to be born. I didn't deliberately choose to sin and I don't choose death but it was thrust upon me and I am born into the earth and now I am faced with this predicament there is no way out unless I go through the door that is Jesus there is no way out unless I go through the door that is Jesus so every time I want to come into the presence of God, I have to go through the door that is Jesus. And I have to alienate my flesh birth and come into the rebirth that is eternal life. That is through Jesus. So Jesus is the door from the natural to the spiritual. Not only that, He's, he's the door into the other worlds that He has created into the dimensions of his existence and of his governance, it is through Jesus. All heaven, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth is what Jesus said. So he's talking about two worlds already. He's talking about heaven, he's talking about earth. And it's, it's all in him, it is all through him, it is all for him. But then there's another door. That door is the door to death. That leads to eternal death. It's your choice. Either you choose life or you choose death. So every day you get up, you make that choice. You don't assume you have made that choice for the day. Because when the attack comes, when the enemy comes, he will ask you to make a choice. 
in South Korea before they were all in North Korea and South Korea before they were separated, there were Christians there. The Chinese attacked and his family of let's say five people, husband, wife, three children, were asked to deny Jesus Christ. And the uh, way the society works in Korea is whatever the husband says, that's what happens. So the wife looked at the husband and pleaded for the children. The husband looked at Jesus and said, no, I'm not. We're not going to bow down to the Chinese. We will bow down to Jesus. They said, if you don't deny Jesus, we will bury you alive. And they said, well, we're not bowing down to Jesus, to you. We're bowing down to Jesus. So they buried them alive. They died a horrible death. You too will be challenged in even the most subtle way. It doesn't have to be something so severe as that. It can be a simple denial along the way of your Christian walk that says that no, I don't really accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. I don't really accept Him as the one who can solve my problem. And the moment you do that, the moment you do that, you have denied His power and His existence. Though you have the, 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 the mantle of a Christian, though you go to a church, though you worship in a church and you praise and worship and you, you see the manifestation of God in, in all of your life and all the things that have happened and yet this little thing can come in at a last minute. Richard Umran was a man of God who, maybe if you want to look him up today, is tortured for Christ. So in the old days they put him up in Russia and they put him in the prison and they used to fill the prison uh, rooms with water up to your neck and you'll be standing there for days. You can't, you can't sit, you can't do anything because the moment you bend it, you drown. That's how they used to torture them. So one day they went up to an Anglican priest and they said to him, we want you to deny Jesus Christ. And he said, no. And they said, well, we'll bring your son and we'll shoot him in front of you. So what do you want me to do? He said, uh, we want you to take communion with urine. And this got around the prison and Richard Wilbrand heard about it. So he said, what if I don't do it? And so the Anglican priest said, what if I don't do it? And they said, we will shoot your son in front of you when they brought the son. So they took communion with urine. So when Richard Wombrand was able to speak to this man, he said, why did you do it? He said, well, that's my son. So how real does Jesus become in your life that you would sacrifice your son? That's the question that's going to be asked today. It's not something that happened hundreds of years ago. It happened in our modern time. It's happening every day. Even now it's happening in all of the Middle East, India and other parts. Okay, as he said, they started the church, they're already gone underground. Why? Because you've been asked to deny Jesus. Not worship Him anymore as God. But they are all allowed to live their own lives in whichever way they want and worship their millions of gods or who kill, murder, rape and do all of that and that's acceptable. But we who worship Jesus and live a sanctified, holy and peaceful life are persecuted, tormented, tortured and destroyed. Now that's the text. That's, that's the uh, test of God over our lives as to how much we value God over the world or our own lives. I am seriously, you know, looking to God for more of Him. They say hunger and your thirst that God will bring you, that will bring you to the presence. I say I don't know enough of you. I need to know more of you.
You need to come to that place where you are so absolute, you're so incredibly uh, available to me, so I can see you. This was Moses' desire. He, he knew God, he knew his power, he saw how he brought, us, brought them out of Egypt and all that, he saw all of that. And he said, I want to see you, I want to see you. Right? You see, he was seeking for more of God. I find that the Western world, they don't see God like they should. They're not hungry. They're not thirsty because they've got all the materialistic well-being of a natural life. And that satisfies them. God to them is being able to, you know, have a, a big house, so many cars, kids go to school, get married, have children, and that's God. And, and if He gave, blesses us along the way, you know, we're blessed with money in the bank, you know, food on our table. And that to them is God. But God is not that. God is not about the blessings. God is greater than the blessings He gives. Amen? So we need to understand who God is, and that's why we need to understand who Jesus is. So when we, uh, you know, preach up, preach the word, it must provide life solutions. It must. And solutions to warnings about life, otherwise one preaches condemnation. So if I'm the prophet of the nation, and God speaks to me and He says, Go and tell Australia that they're going down the tubes in about two years' time if they don't turn their heart back to me. I'm not going to get up on my high horse and go to Australia and tell them, hey, listen, you're going down in two years and I'll snicker at them. No. Thinking that I'm more righteous. Now the first thing I, I probably will do today is go back to God and say, what is the solution to your wrath and to your anger? Then he'll say, Jesus. He will say, Jesus. Jesus is the answer. If you don't preach Jesus, you're not preaching the gospel. If you're not telling people about Jesus, you're not telling them the truth. Right? You've got to get that word out of your mouth. That name above every name. You've got to allow it to come out of your mouth. And that is the fear that you and I have. And that is the fear that others have. When they hear that name, Jesus, they shake in their boots. We used to go door knocking. And we say, we've come to talk to you about God. The door will stay open. The moment we say, we've come to talk to you about Jesus, the door will slam in our face. Why? Because God is a generic term. Whereas Jesus is bringing something into a particular understanding that He is the way, the truth and the life and that no one can come to the Father except... See, that's why they say to you, you Christians are exclusive. You don't, you don't allow anybody else into your faith. No, we allow everybody into the faith. And it's not we, it's Jesus. But God has put a condition that it has to be through Jesus. And this is a dilemma for people. They don't understand that He is the way, the truth and the life. But He is also the answer. So every time we provide a gospel message, whether it be a blessing or a warning or whatever it may be, we need to tell them that there is a solution. And the solution is Jesus. He said, how can that solution be a man? Just me it's merely accepting a man by saying some sinner's prayer or that it changes that. So well, why don't you say the sinner's prayer and see how it changes you say, but I, 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 you know, I've got a heart problem. So Jesus is the answer. Why don't you accept Jesus? He's the answer. No, no. Why can't I just? You can't. Why can't you just tell me and go to Charles Gardner Hospital and recommend me to the top surgeon over there? No, because he's not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Somebody rang me up yesterday and said, "I've got this issue." And, and, and I've got all these problems, and I said, Jesus is the answer. They're Christians. 
They're looking for another way. I said, no, Jesus is the answer. Now, if Jesus tells you to go for surgery, that's a different issue. Right? Because that makes it his commandment. I was listening to the testimony of a man yesterday. He'd, uh, he'd been hit by an 18-wheel truck you know, on a bridge, totally dismembered his entire body. There's only one little bit of his shoulder left and his head in one place. And, and he died. So there's another man walking down the road or driving down the road. God said to him, go and pray for that man. Now the paramedics and everybody, police have been, just put him in a sack and said, you know, he's gone, he's finished. He died. So this man came, laid hands on, put his hand under the sack, got the permission, put his hand under the sack, on the shoulder, and prayed for this man. And the, 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 they were waiting for the ambulance to come to take him. So he kept praying and praying and praying and praying and he kept seeing what a friend we have in Jesus. And about an hour later the, he heard a voice coming from the sack saying, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> uh, is, that, is that an answer or what? Right? I mean you're driving down the highway minding your own business and Jesus says to you, Go and pray for this person, and you know they're dismembered, they're gone, body parts everywhere. The man became totally okay. He's a pastor, he was a pastor, still a pastor. Took two years of rehab, two years of surgeries to get him back into order. Now, if you're super spiritual, you say, Oh, you should have been healed and walked straight away. Well, God does use medicine. God does use doctors. Okay? But Jesus was the answer for his life. He saved that man for a plan and a purpose. He allowed the, 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 the hospital and the doctors to sort him out. And was with him in rehab. So that today he could be a testimony. Jesus is the answer. Don't, don't start putting stumbling blocks before yourself. And say, oh, well, I got to do it like this and I got because that's how I was taught. And hang on. Did you check with Jesus? Did you? Before you took a decision on your problem, on your marriage, on your future, on your job, on your whatever, your travels, your holiday, wherever you were going, did you check with Jesus? Very, very important. Jesus is the answer. He's God's answer, always will be. And it won't change. It's a very simplistic statement because it, it, it says, oh, that's, that's so glib, you know, you're just saying Jesus did. No, the moment you begin to make Jesus your answer, it becomes very deep, it becomes profound, it becomes something you cannot grasp with, a, with your hand. You just got to let it go because He is the answer. And you may go on a journey of difficulty because you accept. Jesus is the answer, but then it comes out on the other side as you being the victor and all the others are left behind. You only got to do is accept Him. Every time, every day, every morning, every second of the day, He is the answer. He's not, he's not just an answer one time 25 years ago and then He's not the answer. No, He's always the answer. Every second of the day, He is the answer. Amen? So he's always available to you and me to be the answer for our lives. Your answers lay in the knowledge of Jesus and what he did for you and is doing now. Have you ever wondered about the uneducated people of this world in the villages, in the remote villages who, you know, see an evangelist come and talk to them about Jesus and they say, yeah, we'll receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And they receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But they've never seen a Bible in their life. They've never read a Bible. They don't even know about God. You know, they, they're communists or something else. Or they've lived a wayward life. They don't know anything about God. All they know is what they know. And then you go along and you tell them about Jesus. And they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then pre-receiving Jesus, they don't know anything. 
and post receiving Jesus, they still don't have a Bible and they still don't understand what the word says from A to Z. Right? Whereas here in the Western world, we're working on the Hebrew meaning, the Greek meaning, the Indian meaning, the African meaning of all these words and then we're trying to expound the gospel to people and saying you have to follow it like a camel through the eye of a needle and all this sort of stuff and you know they don't get it because by the time you finish they're so confused they don't know whether they are Arthur or Martha. And say so if Christ is so difficult to accept Forget it, I don't want Jesus. But you go along to somebody in a village and you just say to them, Jesus Christ is the answer to your life. And he loves you, he cares for you, he died for you on the cross. And bang, something takes place in their heart and they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have an encounter with Jesus that even if the Chinese army comes and wants to destroy them, they say, no, Jesus is the answer. But where do they get their faith from? Because they haven't read the Bible. They, don't, they cannot even quote John 3.16. Have you ever wondered about that? On the top of the mountain in, in India, there are tribes that, that don't even sleep on the ground because they don't believe that sleeping on the ground is right till they die. And somebody is taking the gospel to them up there and saying, Jesus loves you, Jesus is the answer. And they receive Jesus. They still don't know any different, except that they know that Jesus is the answer. And nobody can shake that faith. Nobody can take that faith away from them because they have had an encounter. Not because of I was able to give them the encounter. No. I was sent to give them a word. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to give them the encounter. Something happened to them. They changed. They stayed with it. They lived with it. No, this Jesus is the answer. So the next time they run into a problem, they have a situation, they'll say, Oh no, I know that Jesus. Jesus is the answer. So I'm going to ask him. Their problem is solved because the evangelist is not there. He's gone. There's no church there. There's nobody there. There's no Bible. But they've got their knees and they've got Jesus. So they get on their knees and they ask Jesus. And Jesus answers them. Simple as that. God's ways are different to our ways. Jesus represents the completeness of God's creative intention and purpose for mankind. That means when he created the earth, right, and he had purpose to create, Jesus was already in it. Jesus was already the center of everything that he was going to do in his creation. So all of the purpose of mankind falls into the category of Jesus. All things were created by Him and they were all created for Him. If you do not accept this truth, then you cannot have the answers for your prayers. Nor can you have your needs met. Because Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. You just cannot have any outside influence trying to give you what God can give you only through Jesus. You say, cannot God give me something outside of Jesus? No. He cannot. You mean to say I cannot go to God any other way other than through Jesus? No, you cannot. It's a reality. Until you make it a reality in your own life, you will constantly try to go to God without Jesus. Yeah. Because you will say to yourself, I have Jesus in me. So I'll go to God. And in any, no, you just go to Jesus first. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? You go up there and God will say, Go see my son Jesus. You got a problem? See my son Jesus. This applies to everybody the same, the unsaved. You know, you cannot just assume you have access to God without Jesus. You can't. 
Prayers cannot be answered by God unless they come through Jesus. Suppose a sinner is out there praying, saying, you know, if there's a God there, help me. There was a man, a rich millionaire, Muslim man, playboy, you know, living the life, 35 years of age or so, dying of shingles in the hospital, all over his face and head, and he's dying of shingles, and he can hear in his subconscious state, the doctor saying, oh, we can give him three days to live. So he cries out in his anguish and he says, if there is a God then, come and heal me. And Jesus walked into the room. Allah didn't walk in, Buddha didn't walk in, Krishna didn't walk in, nobles didn't walk in, nobody walked in except Jesus. If there is a God out there, come and heal me. What happened to all the other gods? The millions of so-called principalities and powers of all the different worlds that God created. What happened to all the demons and all that? Nobody could come. Because the cry was made to the one God. Heart to heart. Deep speaking to deep. One heart. See, when my cry is not that way directed, that's when demons come. And they pretend to be Jesus, and they are not. The man got healed, got saved, became a pastor, and ran a big ministry, and saved hundreds of Muslims and thousands of them. A man who was a heathen. Prayers cannot be answered by God unless they come through Jesus. Because Jesus has become our intercessor. Hebrews 7.25 Forever before the presence of God. Forever. That means even after you die, He's still your intercessor. Right? He's still interceding for you after that. He's our high priest. He's the one who goes and offers the sacrifice that is needed for our sins. He said, not every time you sin, no, it goes and reminds God about the sacrifice He made. The blood is still speaking in the presence of God. The blood is still speaking in the presence of God. The other day I said, Lord, what happened to the blood? I said, did it all go up and then there's nothing on here? He said, son, you haven't read the Bible. Go and read 1 John 5. He said, there it is. He says, the word, the blood, and the spirit agree on earth. So the blood is available to us on earth. They are one witness. So you go to God, you have to go through Jesus. The high priest is still going to God on our behalf, offering the sacrifice that he had already offered. He said, just reminding God, I've already done it. Now please forgive them their sin. And then he's the advocate. So you go to him. You discuss your case. Hello, are you listening to me this morning? Have you got a case? Have you got a case against someone or something or something's not happening, it should happen? You need a lawyer because you've got a case. It says Jesus Christ is the advocate with the Father. So if you go to Him, and you're, now you're not approaching him as Jesus the Savior, or the provider, or the healer, or the deliverer, or any of those things. You're approaching him as the advocate. He knows exactly what to say to the Father. You don't, and I don't. That's why the Bible says the Holy Spirit has been given to us because we don't know how to pray. So if I don't know how to pray, then I'm in big trouble because without prayer nothing is going to happen. So uh, I need to know how to pray. So because I don't know how to pray, I will go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I don't know how to pray. Teach me to pray in this situation. And then He will tell you what to pray. Whether in Tamil or in English or whatever. And that prayer goes to the advocate. Because it's directed to him. Amen? He will just start shooting 
missiles into all sorts of areas and expect an answer to your prayer, it ain't gonna come. Because it's not directed. People come to me in the altar call and say, Sir, what do you want? And they say, Oh, just bless me, Pastor. I said, No, I'm not going to do that. Oh, bless you. Because you don't know what you want to be blessed for. I don't know what you want to be blessed for. So, how can I bless you? And why would I bless you when you should be told that you are sinning? So don't pray for the one who's sinning. It's a sin unto death. And here you are, you want to pray for every Tom, Dick and Harry without asking God, should I pray for that person? Gone. Man went to pray for a baby whose cranium was, the face was being eaten by some disease. The cranium was exposed. The father and mother brought the little baby to this man of God. And, he, and the man of God, out of his compassion, put his hand out to pray for the baby. And the Lord said, stop, don't pray for that baby. He got a shock. He said, why? He said, because that's a sin unto death. He said, Lord, that's a baby. He said, it's not the baby's sin, it's the parent's sin. So the baby's dying. So he didn't pray. But he told the parents that you're sinning. Don't just go quickly and lay hands on people. Somebody did it the other day. Went to a hospital and laid hands on somebody. And picked up a demon, came home. And the demon started attacking them through the night. They rang me up and said, I'm being attacked by the demon. I said, what did you do? And somebody else told him that they had gone and done the wrong thing. So we took them through that journey and brought them out of it. Right? You've got to understand. Furthermore, and this is the really the key point, if you're not going to get anything, get this. One salvation is not secure without Jesus in it, revealed by the Holy Spirit. Please, whatever you do, get your salvation always affirmed by the Holy Spirit. Because you could have gone so far off the track. that you lose sight of the conditions of God for you to be a Christian. He said, why do you say that? I was listening to the testimony of a Korean lady in Canada, young 16, 18 year old girl. And she said that, she, you know, she was like a nominal person and leading a normal life. And she accepted that everything was okay gay life, drugs, you know, if somebody wanted to do that, that's okay. If somebody else wanted to do, you know, do something else, that was okay, sleep around, that was okay, you know, because we're living in a modern society, what are you talking about? But one day, she met the Lord Jesus Christ, and she came to know Him personally. And then she started meeting people in her area of influence, school, home, and other areas, who also professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but were practicing homosexuals, were practicing lesbians, and they said very clearly that the Bible does not say anything about it. So what are you, why are you saying something about it? We love Jesus. We go to church, we go to a church that worships Jesus. Just this morning I looked at a YouTube, Eastlake Church in America. He's standing there in the pulpit using filthy language. The Bible opened in front of him and he's saying, if you think that we have to live a moral life designed by this book, you've got to be joking. Yeah. He says, Jesus accepts everybody. He says, the holiness of it is that God accepts everybody. Now, you might say, oh, I'm, you know, it's never going to affect me, it's, uh, it's not a problem for me. No, 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 you're going to meet them. And it's going to shock you. Because your theology, 
and your understanding of your relationship with God is going to be challenged. So what they will say to you is, you don't love us. You exclude us from Christianity. And what if your child comes home and says, Dad, Mom, you know, I've become a homosexual. What are you going to do then? Say, oh, let me deny Jesus because now my child has become, uh, I'll compromise. A Presbyterian pastor did that. Turned the whole church into a gay, lesbian, you know, worshipping church because his two sons became homosexual. So instead of losing his two sons, he kept the two sons and kept the church and kept everything and lost the Lord. Your choice. Your choice. You compromise. I'm telling you, you compromise. It'll become that spot on your white garment. It'll become the wrinkle on your garment. And Jesus is coming for a spotless church. Your theology will be challenged. Does God really reject people? I said to you that God has a hell. It's eternal. Jesus himself spoke about it in the Gospels. So when are you going to wake up? Let's have a look at a verse that tells us how important it is to understand what is happening in the world today and how deceptive it is. Romans chapter 8. And verse 9. Really, you should read that whole chapter for your edification. It's a good thing to go back to that chapter constantly. Romans 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Do you have the Spirit of Christ? Because if you don't, you're not part of God. You say, oh, well, I received Christ 25 years ago, I received the Holy Spirit, and I've got the Spirit of Christ in me. He said, but where is He today? Is He still with you? <laughs> the Bible tells me that Samson went out to fight the Philistines, and he did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. He did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. The same Spirit that was with him in every situation in his life. Why? Because he took the relationship with God lightly. He was a Nazarite and he did the three things he should not have done, which was to touch his headphones, sleep around and get his hair cut. Those are the conditions. The condition to, to, to our relationship with God is Jesus. That is the condition. And whatever Jesus says goes. So the Spirit of Christ must live in us, constantly motivating us and directing us and instructing us in the direction that we need to go because God wants us to go upward toward Him through the throne room. The reason we are not getting answers to our situations in life is because we are not going to Jesus. We are not understanding what His role is now that He has come and gone. Jesus stands in the gap between man and God as the mediator. There can be only one way. God has handed over all the judgment and execution of His will to Jesus, which is then revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, who is the executor of God's will. So when the sheep hear His voice, they know only one master and will not follow others. But there are many voices that are speaking in these last days, like this man getting up in East Lake Church and saying, you know, God is not against homosexuals and we, you know, he's using bad language on the pulpit. 
and, and he, he said we were growing by the hundreds every week. People flocking into the church. The last days decreed by the devil is to remove Christ, the head of the church, from the church. To make church palatable. So, rock music, sound music, uh, uh, white smoke, uh, the drinks, alcohol, everything's allowed now. You can, you can live your game. I was listening to the interview and, and they, yeah, they accepted us. We are we're, we're both gays. We, we love each other. So they don't condemn us. We, we welcome in the church. And you know, the, what is their worship? My first question was, what is their worship? A contaminated worship going to heaven. I mean, I as a Christian, born again, living all these years, I know when I lift my hands to God and worship Him, I know when I am contaminating it. I know. I don't kick myself. That's why communion becomes so important to me. So if I can be convicted of sin, what about them? Do they really believe that contaminated worship will go to God? And God will look down favorably upon them? It's not going to happen. Jesus was sent a cry of God, I'm sending you my son to die on the cross for you because nobody else can do it. So I'm, I'm, this is my cry, this is my heart for you. This is when I created earth, I wanted you to know this. I don't know anything about God and I don't know why the conditions are there, but I accept them. And in accepting them, I get life, I get eternal life, I get blessings, I hear the voice of the Father, and I hear the voice of the Master, and I walk in the footsteps. It's difficult, it's hard, there's persecution, there's offense, there's lack of things that I, that I need. All of those things are there in following the Lord Jesus Christ, but I know that I belong to His flock. And I'm constantly hearing the voice speaking to me. But then there are other voices disguised as the Master's voice that are negating what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. You know, we don't, we don't want to listen anymore. We don't have time to listen to messages anymore. We don't have time to wait for the preacher to finish speaking or in, and find out where he's going. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you while the preacher is speaking to you? That is the question. Is it changing you? Are you just coming to church year after year, month after month, and it hasn't changed you? You haven't left your past. You haven't given up your character. You're still living in your bad habits. You're still living in your depression, oppression. So what's the point of preaching? When someone comes along and says to you, hey, listen, there's something wrong with the way you live your life. Shouldn't we stop? And say, what could it be, Lord? Show it to me, and I may change and be righteous in your sight. And the person who listens and who's obedient and will listen will change, but the others will not change. And so the words just fall to ground all the time, and they just come to church. And 15 years later, they're exactly the same. Nothing has changed. Somebody asked me. I became the pastor of the church in Long Reach. I met the Jezebel spirit there. Dealt with it. And I left. Somebody rang me up about a year later and said, we're going up to that place. Can you tell us what your experience was? So I told them, I told them what to expect. So they went and they met the Jezebel spirit in the church. But you know, it was a different person because the spirit was there. We just waited for the person. We just needed another person who had those traits that were Jezebelic. So when that happened, it entered them. And they cause problems. So though I have dealt with the Jezebel spirit in my time, 
It had not left the area, it had stayed there because it's a familiar spirit. A familiar spirit is like a family spirit, it will stay around and it will wait for the next one to come and the next one to come. That's why when I joined this church, I mean, the Lord said to me, deal with the spirit of buffaloes. We did. And ever since we've had problems with the spirit of buffaloes, but he's out there, he's being kept out there, he can't come in. So he sends all sorts of other stuff, they all get thrown out. <coughs> they don't like it, they leave, say goodbye, don't come back again, we don't need you. Because Jesus is still the answer, we've got to remember that. You know, there are other voices speaking, want to come and tell us how to run church or what to do or what gospel to preach or what doctrine to carry and they will come. And you know, the government will say, you cannot refuse them. Then we'll have to go underground, Bob. Yeah. <coughs> then we'll have to go underground. Because by law, I was thinking I had this praise of God yesterday. I said, if they stop me from beating my grandson, correcting him with a stick, I would have broken the law. I said, the moment they catch me for that, I will call down fire from heaven. And I will say to the Lord, they have broken your laws in allowing homosexuality, same-sex marriage, abortion, and all the other rubbish that goes on. Lord, they have broken your laws. Judge them. They hold me responsible for a natural law. Why do you think the nation doesn't prosper? Because God is holding the nation because it is not doing what God wants it to do. Fires everywhere. Floods, drought. I mean, come on, we haven't seen anything like this in the years past. I mean, 33 years or so in this country. It's getting worse. He says, you don't have, because I'm holding it back. I'm holding it back because you haven't turned your heart to me. He said, what all the preaching is doing for you, Israel, is nothing. It's just keeping you harder and harder and harder. So you don't turn, you don't change, you come to church, you sit here, month after month, year after year, nothing changes. You don't grow, nothing happens, you don't win a soul, you don't do anything for God, nothing happens. Jesus is always going to be the answer. Paul, uh, Apostle John says you must continue in your faith. It's, it is by the continuation of your faith, which is an upward journey in through the doorway, the ladder, Jacob's ladder, into the presence of God, going in, finding pasture and coming out and being able to function on earth with that pasture. What you get is, is, is the power of God in us, right, to change a nation. And Apostle John says this, he says, they were with us and they went out from us. That's how we know that they are not of us. The day is coming, my friends, when the erosion of faith that is designed by the devil to steal your salvation package is to leave you destitute. It's to leave you constantly in a constant problem. Every day you get up, you have a problem. Every day you get up, you have a lack. Every day you get up, there's no joy. Every day you get up, there's no peace. It's an erosion of your faith. It's designed by the devil to take it away so that you can never come to Jesus and you can never stand on the platform of joy. You can never stand on the platform of salvation. You can never stand on those things and you go towards gifts or to something else. But the joy of a relationship with the living God is never available because the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. And Jesus said in John 10, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And said, God, Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. He says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. And I'll show you who I am. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this.
word this morning, I pray it breaks through on every front and causes your people to arise. The time has come and we must make our decisions and we must make the right ones. And we don't call evil good and good evil. But we call it what it is. Because you have given us your word through your Holy Spirit. And we know the truth. And the truth will set us free. And we thank you. We have a life. A life that comes from heaven. Eternal life. I pray for every one of us. That we will take hold of it. In Jesus' name. Bless us now as we go our separate ways. Cause us to live with excitement about the things that you are bringing for us. And even if they are challenges, we will embrace them because we know that you will never leave us for sins. In Jesus' name. Amen.